0: I like the background, by the way. Uh, thank you. <laughs> well, howdy there, Internet people. It's bow again. And today it's the Battle of the Accents. We have Catherine <laughs> from YouTube. She's from the UK. And uh, she's going to tell us a little bit about what's going on over there and then touch on some other subjects. Catherine, start off by telling us a little bit about yourself.
1: Sure. So yes, my name's Catherine. Um, I am an intersectional anti-capitalist. I make YouTube videos about politics, social and political ecology, veganism, feminism—basically anything that relates to social and political issues from an intersectional anti-capitalist perspective. I also work in the climate change mitigation field, and um, I'm an advocate for children with who have experienced child abuse. So yeah.
0: That is a huge list. Um, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I definitely I looked over your YouTube channel, and there's a lot of stuff on it that's uh, that like I like the way you phrase things in your titles. It definitely makes people want to click without being being uh, click baity. It's nice. Um, yeah. Okay, so the uh, the one question that everybody wants me to ask anybody from over there is, <laughs> tell us about the election. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh god yeah um yeah so first of all i guess for people outside of the uk who don't really know how uk elections work basically there are 650 seats um in the house of commons and the house of commons is where we all the important political government um, decisions get made and in order for a party to have a majority in the government they need 326 seats um and so the Conservative Party, which is the right wing party um, in the UK, they got 365 seats, which is a huge majority. And the Labour Party got th- 203 seats. Uh, seats is like the um, members of parliament that are, are elected in each constituency. And um, 203 seats is the worst results that Labour have had since 1935. So it's it was pretty shocking, especially since in 2017, they got I think, 40% of the total number of votes, um, total number of seats in the the House of Commons. So it was pretty bad. Um, So, yeah, people are generally saying the reasons for why this has happened relates to, one, the media bias. Secondly, the referendum, the position Labour had on the referendum. A lot of people were saying that um, Labour were too left-wing, which I think is not the case at all. But... Yeah, I think one of the main reasons for why they failed did have a lot to do with the media bias because um, in the UK, 80% of the media is owned by just five billionaires. So people like Rupert Murdoch and the Barclay brothers who have a vested interest in making sure people like Labour don't get in power because it would mess with their profit margins and their overall politics. And even the BBC, which is supposed to be really impartial in the UK, I've also been accused of um, being more in favour and reporting more favourably on Boris than on Corbyn generally, um, which I would also agree to. There was a mass um, anti-Corbyn smear campaign going on throughout the media and um, generally so much focus on his anti apparent anti-Semitism, but relatively little about Boris being racist, sexist or, and homophobic. So, yeah, I think the media was a big issue But I do think that the Labour government should definitely take into account the fact that their referendum position wasn't um, very effective at all. They basically, um, they did a poll in January by MyGov, and it was asking people who had previously supported Labour why they now weren't supporting Labour anymore. And two thirds of the answers related to Brexit. And Labour had a policy on Brexit, which was basically that they wanted another referendum in six months' time. And um, Corbyn didn't make his position on the referendum clear at all. He didn't say whether he was pro or against it. And um, I think, in contrast, Boris had a very clear get Brexit, get Brexit done stance, which, which, fav- which a lot of people were in favour of. So basically, Labour lost so many Leave voters because they massively overestimated how popular a second referendum would be. Um, But I don't really know how much better it would have been if they had had a um, Brexit stance, pro-Brexit stance, because then I still think they would have lost a lot of Leave voters who wanted um, the, you know, the super, the get Brexit done stance of Boris was very appealing to a lot of people. So, um, yeah, I don't know how much that would have helped. But uh, yeah, and a lot of people are arguing that, well, Labour needs to be less left wing in the future. That was what the main problem. But if it were really the case that um, people wanted a less left Labour, I think a lot more people would have voted for the Liberal Democrats. But they're kind of the more centrist left in between Conservatives and Labour in the UK. But they only got 11 seats overall. So I, I don't I think it's pretty clear that a more centrist left isn't what people want. And people didn't vote for Labour because they thought oh, the top 5% of people are, um, getting, are having enough like, of their taxes taken. They're not, they didn't vote for Labour because they thought it was bad that we should give the NHS more money or do something about climate change. I think it was much more to do with um, the media and the referendum position of Corbyn. Yeah. Okay.
0: So how does all of this impact Scotland and Northern Ireland now that there's kind of a Leave movement there?
1: Yeah, so I think the so the SNP got a lot of seats. They got, I think it was 48 seats in the um, election and they were really, really popular in Scotland. And I think um, Nicholas Sturgeon, the leader of the SNP party, Scottish National Party has called or is about to call for a second referendum, or not a second, another referendum in Scotland to leave um England. And it's pretty positive that it's now going to happen. I think the UK is not going to be the UK anymore. I think Scotland is going to leave um, England and maybe even Wales is going to leave England. But I'm not so sure about Wales, um, what's happening there because the DUP, which is the main um like the Welsh party. Um, Democratic Unionist Party didn't get um, many seats, so I don't think that that would happen. but yeah, <laughs> I think Scotland is definitely going to leave England for sure.
0: And then the other question that we're getting, especially even here, which is odd to see this much interest in UK politics, is do you think Brexit will result in a hard border between the North and South in Ireland?
1: um it's really hard to say because i don't know because boris has taken different stances on this he, at one minute he's saying that there will be a border like you've been suggesting there was would be like a wall between the south and the north but i do but i actually don't think that that will happen i think that the northern island um, and south i uh, that they'll still stay it will stay as it is but it's it's difficult to say because i think there'll be some conflict um in ireland but i don't know enough about irish politics to know what's going on at the moment over there but yeah
0: okay and just so everybody knows at home i like kind of completely almost surprised her with all of those questions that's not really what we're here to talk about so <laughs> pick one of your videos and and just kind of delve us into where to where you take them like uh body positivity is a scam is one that I saw. Um, and I think that that's a good kind of segue into the other stuff we want to talk about.
1: Yeah. So I guess, um, we were going to talk about patriarchy and relating to body image and body positivity. So I guess, um, when it comes to, I guess what I was going into in the body in the video on body positivity, it wasn't about, um, Saying it wasn't like a fat phobic video, even though the the title might sound like that, it was basically talking about how today things like body positivity are used in feminism that we have this type of feminism that is advocating for um, body things like body positivity, which is like greater representation of certain bodies is supposed to be the solution to the fact that we have these certain beauty ideals that are so pervasive and leading to women being psychologically, physically, emotionally depleted um, and basically there's, this movement has come about where there's greater where the non-normative bodies are being shown more in advertising and social media um, but the thing is I think for the most part it's quite a, a false solution because the majority of the time, the bodies that are being shown are very normatively attractive bodies still. Even if they are plus size, they tend to have hourglass figures, conventionally attractive facial features and kind of curves in all the hypersexualized places. So they're not actually really challenging um, body image issues because the, by, by saying that these models are representative of fat bodies, They're just contributing to more shame towards bodies that are plus-sized because um, the representation of them is still not accurate. And even when they are accurate representations, most of the time they're used to advertise different products, such as like new clothing lines or even dieting pills and things like that. Um, And that just is contributing to more capitalism, more consumerism, which are actually at the root of a lot of patriarchy and sexism in our society you know traditionally um feminists radical feminists have recognized that we need to tackle things like capitalism capitalism is the heart of um, patriarchy and we shouldn't be promoting more capitalism and a lot of the images of body positive models and um body positive advocates in advertising they're often reproducing the typical male gaze so they'll often look into the camera in in typically seductive ways or position themselves so as to invite the male gaze on certain areas of your body and things like that and it's very much reproducing patriarchal male gaze or they'll be wearing lots of makeup or um, fake tan or lots of new fashion items and I'm not saying there's anything inherently wrong with that But it's kind of, there's a contradiction when you're trying to subvert a certain norm, but then you're simultaneously reproducing it, reproducing the idea of what women should look like and dress like. Um, So I think it actually ends up reproducing the exact same things that they're actually trying to subvert in the end.
0: Okay, so for those that are not up to speed on it, let's get a good definition of patriarchy.
1: Sure. So um, there's different definitions of patriarchy. So the first one tends to be that a system of governments or society where men hold the power and women are largely excluded from it. Um, A second one relates to where men um, are like the head of the family or the the oldest male child is head of the family and um, rate and descent is reckoned through the male line. Um, And then there's also like a system where that is um, designed around patriarchal lines and patriarchal values. And I think that there's a a common misconception that patriarchy is just about men against women. Um, But it's actually more about masculinity and femininity. And these are terms that relate to characteristics or traits that are seen as characteristic of men or women. So masculinity like refers to aggressiveness and domination and individualism and competition and um, violence and things like that and femininity is uh, traits associated with softness and kindness um, compassion and caring and we currently live in a system and society where we overvalue traits relating to masculinity and undervalue uh, feminine traits so masculinity is seen to dominate um, femininity and that's the inherent problem it's not that there's anything inherent in men um, that makes them bad, or inherent in women that makes them subordinate. It's about the way the, the characteristics that we value.
0: Does patriarchy hurt
1: men? Yes, <laughs> I think again this is a, a common misconception that uh, feminism is just about women. But actually, the, I mean, for the one of the most common problems with patriarchy is that. Men are taught to suppress um, so many emotions, not allowed to cry, not allowed to express when they're hurting and things like that, or they're only allowed to express it through anger or aggression. And this leads to so many mental health issues. They have a much higher rate of suicide than women. They have a much higher rate of alcohol abuse. Men are much more likely to end up in prison. Um, They're much less likely to be taken seriously if they have domestic or sexual experience, domestic or sexual assault they um, are much more likely to have to go to war and fight in war, even if they don't want to. I think fatherhood is often very difficult for men because there's certain ideas that they're not supposed to spend too much time with their kids or play too much with their kids. And then there's also these gendered expectations that they should go out to work all the time and take care of the family, which can harm a lot of people who aren't able to do that or don't want to do that. And also these expectations of what it is to be a real man, if you if you don't, um, if you don't conform to these ideas of, you know, a tall, um, muscly, hypermasculine guy, um, then it can be incredibly harmful for you. So yeah, there's multiple ways in which um, patriarchy harms men just as much or not just as much, but definitely harms men as well.
0: And how is capitalism and patriarchy? How are they tied?
1: um so uh, some people say that there isn't a link between patriarchy and capitalism because patriarchy preceded capitalism but whilst it is true that patriarchy preceded capitalism basically capitalism profoundly transformed the nature of women's subordination and oppression so Prior to the 15th century, women had a lot uh, more rights than after the 15th century when capitalism was institutionalised. But from the 15th to 18th century, capitalism was basically used as a means um, to subordinate and oppress women. So they did this by, for example, um, they decriminalised rape as a means of diffusing workers' protests. They um, institutionalised prostitution as a means of Um, diffusing worker solidarity, Um, things like uh, women were forced into domestic and reproductive labour against their will, so they could be relegated more into the home instead of working. And all of these things basically meant that the very, the institutionalising of capitalism, the very foundations upon which capitalism was built, was built off of the oppression of women. And I think that we can still see that to today um so time that women do get any rights under our capitalist system it's mainly as a result of the fact that we need it for production and consumption so you know during world war ii when they needed more females to work because men were out at war um women were given the right to work but then as soon as in the 1950s when they no longer needed women to work they started to introduce in advertising this idea of um domestic goddess and femininity correlating with staying at home and um, doing domestic chores. And this served the consumer purpose of um, getting women to buy household products um, which they needed in order to make money. But it also helped to bring women back into the home, back into me- domestic labor and reproductive labor. And then it went on to a change to beauty ideals that we see today, which also helped to um, continue the subordination of women today and yeah it just continues and, it, and again the beauty ideal serves the consumer purpose by selling us um, fast fashion and the beauty industry and dieting industry and all of these industries which help um, keep capitalism alive and the more women see themselves as subordinate and objects to the male gaze the more um, it keeps us from revolting or challenging the system and there is no incentive inherent in capitalism to do anything about patriarchy. So no matter how much we try and fight for rights or, um, yeah, for the rights or equality for women, it's never going to be successful under a capitalist system because capitalism is inherently based off of the oppression of women. And it has no incentive to do anything about it. Yeah.
0: So what does a post-patriarchal society look like?
1: I guess it would look like where both men and women have complete equality, but I think it would have to do with getting rid of all hierarchies in general. I don't think that we can get rid of men um, dominating women without also getting rid of men like humans dominating nature and dominating animals and um i generally i think what it would it look like i guess where everyone would have the ability to do with their lives whatever they wanted to there wasn't any kind of gendered norms that you um as a woman have to do this or you as a man have to do this the whole idea of, I guess we might even get rid of these ideas of certain sexes or or not sexes, but of genders in general. Um, yeah, I don't know if that was a good answer.
0: <laughs> no, no, it, any answer is a good answer. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's one of, this is a topic here in the US, these terms are just so loaded. I mean, yeah. like they really are. And it's one of these things that it, it's hard to get people to even discuss it because a lot of them don't have definitions. They don't really grasp the ideas. Um, And it's, you know, one of those things about the messenger and I'm not really the right person to deliver that message at times. Uh, So (laughs) the, uh, so for uh, those of you watching on YouTube, this is kind of the introduction. This is, uh, is going to be the end of it because we're going to delve into a lot of deeper topics and topics that wouldn't really fit on the YouTube channel um, in the podcast. So the link to that will be below. If you're uh, listening to this on the podcast, we will be right back in just a moment. And we're back. Okay, so now let's get into the meat stuff, the stuff that we couldn't talk about on YouTube. Um, Where do you want to go first?
1: Um, I guess it's good to start with some definitions and maybe some disclaimers about different forms of sexual violence.
0: All right, let's go there.
1: (laughs) Sure, So, (laughs) um, so I guess first of all I wanted to say that Uh, just to acknowledge that there's different words people use to describe themselves after experiencing sexual violence so I'm probably going to focus mainly on the word victim throughout this because um, I just want to retain the sort of outrage that's implied by the word victim but um, maybe sometimes I'll also use the word survivor but I know that they're both quite heavily loaded terms Um, and I also apologize if this is quite a binary discussion as well um but yeah and just some trigger warnings i guess for people um like rape abuse sexual violence suicide or potentially suicide um talk about pedophilia and things like that um so yeah just some definitions to start with so sexual assault refers to any physical psychological and emotional violation in the form of a sexual act inflicted on someone without their consent, Um, sexual abuse is mainly used to describe behavior towards children, not adults, and it can include many different things, such as touching a victim in a sexual manner, to forcing a victim to touch the perpetrator in a sexual manner, um, to making a victim look at sexual body parts or watch sexual activity, and I think this is important to to, um, explain because I think a lot of people feel like but I, especially as a child, thought that sexual abuse only related to purely penetration, but that's definitely not the case. Um, and then rape is defined as the penetration, no matter how slight, um, of the vagina or anus with any body part or object. Um, so mm-hmm. <laughs> I can re- hear really loudly the um, bird in the background. It's not a problem for me, but I'm just thinking for the listener is that
0: I can, bad or? there is he's right outside the window staring at okay. me it's, it's a little weird um <laughs>
1: so. i don't mind it's just i don't know if they would be able to hear it but it's
0: fine i actually didn't think that would be coming through um okay so let me let me see what i can do about that but but please please go on in the meantime okay
1: yeah yeah um so, yeah, I was saying um, that so rape is defined as the penetration, no matter how slight, of the vagina or anus with any body part or object or oral penetration by a sex organ of another person without the consent of the victim. Um, sexual harassment is any unwanted behaviour of a sexual nature that makes you feel distressed, intimidated or humiliated, and it takes lots of different forms. And sexual violence is just a general term we use to describe any kind of unwanted sexual activity or act, um, which includes rape, sexual assault, sexual abuse, and many other things. Um, and I think these things are important um, to define because they're often used very interchangeably, even in things like newspapers. Um, and yeah, so paedophilia is defined as an ongoing sexual attraction to pre children. And it's important to note that not all paedophiles are sex offenders because not all paedophiles act on their sexual attraction. But at the same time, not all child sex offenders are attracted to children at all so um, in my case in my experience uh, of child sexual abuse and sexual other forms of sexual violence throughout my life um, including rape of an ex-boyfriend and for me this definition this understanding of pedophilia is important because in my case the pedophile that abused me was also very sexually attracted to adults as well and very um, he also raped adult women. And I think that that led to many adults in his life not recognizing his pedophilia because it, it was assumed that pedophiles can only be attracted to children and aren't also attracted, sometimes also attracted to adults. Um, yeah. Do you think, um, do you want to do some statistics or you want to go move on? Or
0: uh, Yeah, give us, give us some scope if the statistics are providing like scope of the problem, that would be great.
1: Yeah. Um, So I think so. I think these statistics are quite poignant. So these are all based on the U S but they're very similar statistics throughout other Western nations. But um, so according to the rape abuse and incest national network in the U S one out of every six American women has been a victim of attempted or completed rape in her lifetime. Um, which is very high, I think. And one in 33 U.S. men have been, have experienced an attempted or completed rape in their lifetime. Um, every 73 seconds, another American is sexually assaulted. And one in five girls and one in 20 boys is a victim of child sexual abuse in the U.S., um, which is incredibly high because I think we often think of child sexual abuse as something that only ever happens like once in a hundred times or it's just We never talk about it, so it seems as if it's like such a rare problem. But one in five girls and one in 20 boys is very high. Um, And in the U.S., 70% of women suffer sexual harassment at work. And across the U.S., between 1996 and 2012, more than one million rapes were systematically underreported and undercounted, never making it into the FBI accounts which just shows how the police aren't taking this issue very seriously at all. Um, And these statistics don't even convey the enormity of the problem because there's so many reasons why people don't report these crimes and there's so much silence around the issue because of shame and guilt and fear and other things like that. Um, Sexual assault is actually the most underreported crime against the person. So, yeah.
0: (laughs) So... um what leads it to be unreported, underreported?
1: I think there's so many issues. I guess I can talk more from like my personal experience as well. Um, So I think that part of it is due to gendered socialization. There's often, I think as women, you're often raised to not make a fuss, to obey older people than you, especially older men, be quiet and well-behaved and, don't be rude. And I definitely experienced this. I didn't feel like I could say no to this older man as I was a child. Um, children's socialization and relationships with adult is generally based off of um, a culture of expectation and be- obedience and instruction. Um, you're as a woman, as we've just discussed on the YouTube video, we're taught to be submissive and And often even taking these the sexual assault as a compliment rather than as a violation. Um, And we're also very discouraged from being angry in general. I think that it's something that's very suppressed in women um, for numerous reasons. But I also think that sex, sex education in general is really poor. Generally in the media, the only sort of representation of sexual violence that we see is very violent and sensationalized forms of rape um and when in the most cases at least for sexual abuse for child sexual abuse most of the time it not a violent it's not done in a violent manner at least obviously the acts themselves can be very violent but um it's often done through getting them to trust you and asking you to do things rather than this forceful kind of violent Hop, someone comes out of the bushes type of situation and there's also this sort of we're also taught that most rape is stranger rape someone that you don't know when actually 93 percent of the time it's someone known to the victim and um we also have this idea of like the creepy man um which is also not the kid well it, it depends obviously it depends but Um, often when they don't fit these stereotypes it can make it harder for us to come forward about these things. Um, And I also think that in general, we have such victim blaming language as well in our society. Um, You know, when we're taught about these things in sex education, it's often about how can we um, prevent these things from happening to us, you know, by wearing different types of clothing, not going out of the house at certain times and A lot of the times this can lead us to feel like it's our responsibility and it's our fault if something happens to us. Um, And yeah, aside from that in general, uh, as I was talking about before, I don't think that there's any incentive under this system for us to really do anything about sexual violence because there's no, no profit to be gained from dealing with this issue under a capitalist system, which I think really helps silence the issue in general as well
0: so the system itself is failing the 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 victims or survivors and is it doing anything to rehabilitate or anything at all on the part of the perpetrator is is the system working in any way
1: Um, In my opinion, no, it's not. I mean, if we just look at the reoffending rates of people as they come out of prison in general, in the UK, 49.2% of people reoffend within a year of coming out of prison. In the US, between 40 to 60% of people reoffend within two years of coming out of prison. I think prisons in general are not here to uh, rehabilitate. Like, they fail at rehabilitation um they fail at um trying to deter crimes as well there's no real evidence that they actually do anything to prevent crime from happening and i was looking up in the uk there's only one organization i could find that actually does anything to prevent um people who are sexually attracted to children from acting on their and on that and i couldn't find any organizations that prevent um, anyone who wants to assault or rape older women, non-minors, um, from doing so. It's all very much based on after the fact. If there's an organisation relating to sexual violence, it's always about um, helping victims after the, the fact, has ha- the act has happened. And there's such a low percentage of people that are actually incarcerated when it's actually reported, um, It's uh, in the US, out of every 1,000 sexual assaults, only 230 are actually reported to the police and only 46 actually lead to an arrest and only nine cases are referred to the prosecutor and only five cases will lead to a felony conviction. So, um, and out of the 4.6 will be incarcerated. So out of a 1,000 cases reported, only 4.6 will be incarcerated. So clearly it's not actually... Like, this isn't going to deter anyone from committing the crime. And if it's not even rehabilitating them, clearly the prisons aren't here to for that purpose. As we know from the prison industrial complex, they're just here to make a profit. There's no incentive for them to reduce this crime because they rely on people coming in to make a profit. So, yeah.
0: So what do you think a more effective system would be?
1: I think that if we are going to effectively deal with this issue. I think we need to get rid of a system based on capitalism and patriarchy. And that would look like a system of anarchism or communism and things like that, where it's not a place where everyone's women's bodies in particular are constantly sexualized and objectified. Um, I don't know how exactly we're going to get there or what that would look like in practice. I don't think anyone really has all the answers here, but I think that we can't really can't really get to the root of the problem without dealing with these, without uprooting these systems, first of all. Um, and I can talk a bit more about how capitalism relates to sexual violence or intersection with sexual violence, if you'd like.
0: <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. This is um, this isn't a topic that gets discussed over here like ever. So go into as much detail as you can.
1: Sure. Um so I guess I could um is this podcast the same is it the cuz I was going to talk a bit about again about how um patriarchy prior to the 15th century and then the 18th century but if you, if the first part is already linked to this then I can just skip that part.
0: Oh yeah, they will, they will have already heard that, yeah.
1: Okay. Um, So I guess other than that, I think that some other things that are really important um, to take into account is the fact that capitalism is one of the, or if not the root cause of poverty around the world and poverty intersects with sexual violence in so many ways, even in um, developed or colonizing countries. So, you know, poor people are at the most risk of human sex trafficking parents selling children, child snatchers, female genital mutilation. Um, You know, across the globe, 1.5 million girls are married at younger than 15 worldwide. Um, Sex trafficking normally happens because they promise their families a better life or the child a better life because they're so poor and suffering a lot of the time. Um, And if we look across the globe in so many colonized countries, the poor working conditions, often breed sexual abuse and harassment. For example, in different sweatshops, um, sexual harassment and sexual abuse are almost a daily occurrence. And even in the US and, and Western countries, almost half of all rape victims are um, in the lowest third of income distribution. And I, this is, has a lot to do with the fact that economic power is crucial for creating a situation where someone can abuse, because you can't leave your abusive partner because of economic dependence or economic power, including the power of abusive men over women, is upheld by the criminalizing state and the state uses the threat of violence to maintain its existing order. So if you're already um, experiencing like poverty, you also you don't want to. Um, get into trouble with the, the state in terms of um, being put in prison, things like that. And austerity measures in general forces countries to privatise and cut shelters like hotlines and therapy services for survivors. Um, and so the poorest people who are most in need of these things, um, who are the most at risk of sexual violence, don't get that help that they need. So they're often not able to leave these kind of situations. Um, And I think it's really interesting what Franz Fanon talks about and he says, he talks about when we have an oppressive system, there's an atmosphere of violence, which spills out into interpersonal interactions. So, um, you know, if we we live in a situation today where we have the violence of poverty and inequality and the violence of food insecurity, and that can really spill out into um, interpersonal relations in terms of men dominating women or sexual violence in general. And I think there's so many situations like the BBC covering up Jimmy Savile. I don't know if you heard about that in the US, but it's basically this serial paedophile who um, the BBC covered up for many, many years. And if they weren't afraid to of their profit margin, these sort of things, they just would not have got away with that. And obviously under capitalism, profit is the main source of um the main purpose of any organization basically um and the same thing with the most powerful people in our society gain impunity because of the fact that they have money so you know Michael Jackson and people like Kavanaugh and um Jeffrey Epstein recently and Saint Andrews and not Saint Andrews (laughs) Prince Andrew and things like that like if you it's just It's crazy how much money can mean that you don't get held accountable for your crimes. Um, And yeah, in a capitalist system, we produce this elite minority who have this level of power and impunity. Um, So yeah, I think that there's so many ways in which poverty, which results from capitalism, leads to this type of thing. And I also think, you know, another big issue is the fact that in the system, we have, we create, these type of mon we call sexual offenders these monsters, and we we defer like we call you know Mexicans rapists and murderers and refugees as the rapists, and they're going to take over um, and so it's these things have almost become this sort of spectacle in our society um, and this also is helps people in power to maintain their power because it it justifies locking them up and then making a profit from their labor. Um, and it allows for escape to scapegoat certain groups so that certain groups are associated with this heavily racialized monstrosity whilst at the same time, the people who are actually causing most of the harm in our society get away with it. Um, so yeah, it it really, yeah, I think in, in general, the objectification and sexualization of women's bodies serves a consumer purpose because, um, you know, the more we view women's bodies as sexual objects and put them in a subservient position, the more women are forced to kind of um, buy products in order to feel less, uh, in order to live up to these expectations of women as beautiful or sexual objects. Um, yeah,
0: <laughs> Yeah. so that, that takes us back to the whole concept of patriarchy. And that, that there, I had a few more questions, but I didn't know where the answers were going to go um, on the YouTube channel. So I wanted to wait till we got here. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> what, uh, what are the different waves of feminism and, and why do we even still need it?
1: different waves of feminism sure so the first wave of feminism was from the modern um the early modern period until the 20th century and it was basically based um around getting women more legal rights and reforms and it mainly related to the suffrage um the suffragette movement but it was very much like a white middle class um movement and then from the 1960s to the 1980s it Feminists, this is the, sev- the second wave of feminism and the feminists basically expanded this to also include other types of rights like reproductive rights and including domestic violence and sexual violence um, in, their, um, in their feminism. But it was still very much a white middle class type of feminism. And then um, from the 1980s onwards, it became the third wave of feminism became about intersectionality so in recognizing the multiple ways in which different forms of oppression intersect with each other for example if you're a black woman or um, a gay woman um, or a poor woman and how that how you have specific unique forms of suffering but for the most part that even though it was intersectional most representation of feminism was still very much white and middle class And some people argue that there's a fourth wave feminism um, since 2012, where it's very much based around empowerment, um, empowering women, and very individualistic, very consumer-based type of feminism that's moved away from the more radical goals of the past. Um, And why, did you say, why do we still need it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess there's so many issues still across the globe impacting Women and even in the West, so you know eight out of ten women in the u s uh, still get paid less than their male counterparts. Um, women still disproportionately um, are, get uh, the are the victims of sexual all types of sexual violence um, humor that sex trafficking, female genital mutilation infanticide um, <laughs> All forced prostitution, all of these things are disproportionately felt by women. 73% of domestic homicides are experienced by women um, and women are generally still represented as inferior to men, subordinate to men and generally in the media we have this rape, uh, rape culture that is perpetuated all the time which is basically where the normalisation and trivialization of rape through things like uh, victim-shaming and slut-shaming, victim-blaming and slut-shaming, and sexualization of women. Um, So, and women's work in general is undervalued and underpaid compared to men's. So yeah, (laughs) I think there are numerous, and of course all the things that we spoke about before about how men still are are impacted by patriarchy as well. So yeah, I think we still need feminism today.
0: So it's not just that feminists want to destroy masculinity and, and chivalry then.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I I think there's this idea of this idea of chivalry is based on sort of benevolent sexism or mm-hmm. you know, what the so called benefits that women get from from being a woman, but I think most of these things are just um, complete. People don't recognise that these stereotypes are just based on sexism. So yeah, you might think it's it's a good thing that women are benefiting from if men take care of women, but actually it's steeped in these sexist ideas that women are subordinate and need to be taken care of. And there's a difference between civility and chivalry. You know, civility is based on um, everyone being kind and and good to one another. And, you know, you can still open the door for people. You can still take care of people. It's not inherently getting rid of that, but just getting rid of the sexist elements of it. Um, and, yeah, we're not trying to get rid of, you know, people who <laughs> can act as manly as they like. It's just that we want to get rid of the fact that there's gendered, the fact that people feel like they have to act a certain way. And it's about allowing people to do what, what they want. Um, but so long as it's not harming anyone.
0: Okay. So what about uh, the LGBTQ movement? How does this tie in with feminism in general, destruction of the patriarchy and all of this?
1: Um, yeah, so sure. I think the thing is that gender non-conforming people, are hurt by the norms about presentation and behavior that depend on sex just as much as women and men um like cis men and cis women are hurt by these types of norms so for example if you're a um gay man for example you're often hurt by these norms that you're supposed to act Uh, masculine and supposed to be attracted to men so you're often discriminated against because you don't conform to these ideas of what it is to be a real man if you perhaps act in a more effeminate way or if you're um, a gay woman who is masculine presenting you're often discriminated against because you don't conform to this um, the certain female beauty ideal of being super feminine or because you're not um presenting yourself for the male gaze in the way that our patriarchal society dictates. And in the same way, you know, lesbians are often portrayed for the male gaze as like lesbians are very much sexualized through things like porn and porn often misrepresents, misrepresents lesbian sex and trans women experience, disproportionate amounts of sexual harassment and um, violence as a result of their being trans. And also they are victims of things of discrimination by trans exclusionary radical feminists who basically believe that trans women aren't real women. So there's many ways in which um, the issues relating to LGBTQ plus community relates to intersex with patriarchy because they are also victims of having to, of not conforming to these gender, not always conforming to certain gender norms, which can then harm them and can lead them to be discriminated against.
0: It's funny you, you, you bring up the uh, the turf thing because that's all over Twitter this morning. I don't know if, you, if you've seen, but um, that was, no, that I, was haven't. Uh, I guess the author of Harry Potter got 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 into it somehow. I don't know exactly what went on, but I mean, I, I live in the deep, deep south, and when I'm getting coffee and the truck driver at the gas station is talking about it, it I don't, I haven't, I can't wait to find out what was said, you know, because <laughs> I was like, <laughs> man, this is, this is not somebody I would, ex- I, I expect to be talking about this right now. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, so uh, apparently, and then I guess there were other people. There was a ruling, and but I didn't catch the whole story. But it's definitely a a, a big thing right now. Um, yeah. So one of the things when we were looking at our uh, at, at, at the show and all of this, I saw something that said how animal liberation interacts with uh, with all of this, and I. it it caught my eye and I was just wondering if you could kind of expand on that.
1: Sure. Um, So I guess the, the thing is that the same systems that oppress women is the same system that has and is oppressing animals. So, you know, the naturalization of women as inferior to men doesn't differ from the naturalization of animals as inferior to humans um just as you know women are the object to the service of men and the capitalist system animals are objects in the service of the human and capitalist system and i think it's very true this idea of none of us are free until all of us are are free um you know we need to consider that when we talk about, when we regard animals as beings that are naturally less than, this is just reproducing the same hierarchies and value systems that we actually want to get away from. Because, you know, any hierarchies that say certain lives have more value than other lives inevitably breeds oppression and certain forms of violence. Um, and so this, this kind of per- patriarchy that perpetuates the notion of women as less than um, and l- women are less than ma- men is the same one. It's also being pumped out all the time about the narrative of animals as less than humans. So, I mean, there's certain ways in which we can see this play out. So, for example, if you look at animals, um, cows are natural, uh, um, artificially inseminated, which is like a form of rape of a cow. Um, and slaughterhouse workers are, I think, over 100% more likely to um, cause domestic violence in their homes because their, their work is so inherently violent and they, they're so mistreated in their jobs that it naturally breeds up more violence outside of their work. And also there's so many ways in which vegan advocacy groups also use sexist advertisements like PETA is the top, the biggest one in the US. Um, and I guess for a lot of people, I can imagine that this, probably sounds quite strange because animal liberation relating to patriarchy isn't something that's often talked about but i do think it's just we just want to get away from these value systems and hierarchies based on like violence to other beings on this earth and i guess that's why i think that it's also very important to to talk about um animal liberation in relation to this conversation
0: well i mean in 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 theory, all of this is related because it's a systemic issue that crosses mm-hmm. into just—I mean, everything. So, it, but it, that was a connection I had never seen before. So I was like, hmm, "I've got to ask about that." Um, so, <laughs> something that I—oh, go ahead.
1: Oh, oh I'm sorry. sorry. No, you, I was just going to say I'm—I'm—I'm I'm I'm really curious just how this is. In the—I don't know anything really about the Deep South in general, and like, I don't know how are these ideas um how do they come across in the deep south is is this something are these sort of ideas about patriarchy and sexism misogyny veganism animal liberation do they come about a lot where you live or not really (laughs)
0: um let's see patriarchy is is the southern united states is extremely hierarchical um so this is something that is it's just accepted and any questioning of it gets gets kind of side-eyed. You know, you're like, what? Um, <laughs> it's, not, it's not something that it is common to be talked about, but at the same time, it's something that is extremely apparent to everybody that it exists. Mm-hmm. And it's become this very bizarre, it, it's almost accepted now that, in in image, the man is the 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 head of the household in reality as soon as those doors close the the woman is actually in charge it, it's and that's the way it's really starting to develop here um but it, it does, it's not actually changing behavior it's just changing the image um it's it's really it's really weird to kind of watch it develop and animal liberation down here has, you you see it, but you see it in weird ways. You know, you will see people that, you know, for some reason glorify eating bacon. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if this is a a, a thing going with all of our recent tensions with the Middle East and it may have a root there. Um, But beyond that, when you're you're starting to see in the south people take animal abuse a whole lot more seriously um as far as people mistreating horses and and livestock stuff like that you know there are some animals that are just exempt from people caring about down here Mm -hmm. but it's it's developing and it's probably i mean it's going to take a long time it's the south we do everything slowly down here um (laughs) It, it was definitely a a it, you're starting to see stepping stones whereas before the if somebody let uh, a stable of horses starve the main concern would be the economic loss and why it happened that's not the concern anymore people mm-hmm. are upset people are like how could you do this and again It's starting with companion animals, you know, dogs, horses, stuff like that, that people are beginning to care about. But, I mean, 20 years ago, they didn't care at all. So it's a step in the right direction. Um, The South in general is very reluctant to change. Um, But we're starting to see it in some real crucial some very very crucial uh, aspects you know uh, the Southern United States is extremely and has a reputation for being extremely racist and I, I mean it's what it's it's a racism that was so steep when people from other countries come here they 're like, oh i didn't understand it was quite that bad yeah no it's um, it's really. really very institutionalized here. Mm -hmm. Um, But we're starting to see that break. We're starting to see things, you know, 10, 15, well, let's see, probably 25 years ago, the idea of an interracial marriage in the town that I'm in right now, unheard of. And today it's very commonplace. So a lot of these ideas that Took a whole long time to to even get root. Once they get root, it it spreads. Um, Mm -hmm. So we're we're starting to see that. But that's, I mean, I don't want to say that the southern U.S. is behind the times because that's a stereotype. But it it, cliches normally contain an element of truth, Mm -hmm. and and in this one, it definitely does. Um, So one of the things that I ask everybody that comes on the show is give me a solution to anything, your particular uh, cause that you truly believe in. Give me a solution that the average individual can act upon, something that they can do to help solve a problem.
1: Sure. I think one of the best things that anyone can do if it's possible for you to do it is to join a union in your workplace or if you Don't have a union starting one, if that's something that's possible for you to do. I think that um, unions are one of the best ways for you to build solidarity between your workers, spread more socialist or left-wing ideas amongst different people, um, campaign for your rights, normalise the idea that we shouldn't be exploited in these ways in general. And I think the more unions i think they're going to become more and more important as more and more jobs are set to become automated um throughout the throughout the next few decades and if you're not working or unable to work maybe um some sort of political organization or something within your community that you can get involved in i think in even just coming together with a few of your neighbors and discussing some of these topics or talking about okay how can we help Bernie get into power. Uh, How can we make sure these results in the UK don't happen again? Just getting organized, I guess, between, um, in your communities. Because I think so many of us are so alienated, so lonely. We have such an epidemic of loneliness. And I think some of these things can help to combat that and help us to build more solidarity for when we're really going to need it over the next few decades.
0: So... Workers of the world, unite! That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, the uh, okay. Um, now, so take a few minutes. Talk about anything that you think we missed. Plug your channel, or don't you do? Are you frequent guest on a podcast, or do you actually have another podcast that you're on?
1: Um, in- I don't. I don't have a podcast. I, me and um, Javi, and pd morin paul morin on youtube we do um a stream every sunday on one of our channels um and i recently was on the vegan vanguard channel which i'd really recommend checking out um but yeah just my youtube channel with Catherine. my name spelt really weird it's just um k-a-t-h-r-i-n <laughs> um yeah go check it out if you want um just i was wondering if there's I guess one thing that I maybe wanted to talk about just before we go is that there's this idea that's still pervasive. I think that there is like an inherent thing that makes women weaker than men or inferior to men, or there's some sort of biological justification for why women um, don't hold the same positions of power to men. And um, this has repeatedly been debunked through research and science yet yeah, it's still such a pervasive idea. And I think it's just to think about the fact that if we look at intersex or transgender or otherwise non-conforming people, um, we can really see that they challenge the notion that gender, is, that gender expression is tied to chromosomes, genitalia and hormones. Um, because, yeah, obviously they don't conform, their gender doesn't conform to the, the sex they were given at birth. Um, and when we look at indigenous cultures throughout the world so many of them their gender doesn't they don't have the same um they don't perform their gender in the same way that we do and i think even if we look at like a lot of people say oh men are naturally more active or naturally more aggressive than women and i'm not saying that there's absolutely never any biological reasons for our differences obviously there's a tendency for men to biologically to be stronger than women but there's so many ways and so much research has been done on how even when you're a baby the way people hold a male child to a female child is so different how you play with a child you tend to play with a a boy in a much more aggressive and active manner which can then explain why they might be more active or aggressive or strong later in life than female children Um, and then obviously you know you're socialized to kind of conform to certain gender roles and um, you don't want to be outside of that gender role because then you won't be considered feminine or masculine so that can also explain why there's these um, so-called biological differences why it seems as if these are biological differences but yeah I just wanted to to mention that because (laughs) it frustrates me when people talk about these differences are just inherently biological
0: uh, well i definitely think that at some point we should have you back on and kind of pick these apart slowly because again it's not something that gets talked about here it's not something that gets talked about anywhere outside of feminist circles that this yeah. a lot of this discussion doesn't ever make it outside of that um so i definitely think we should bring you back on and kind of divide a lot of these topics up and go more in depth into them but
1: yeah yeah i'd love to um sorry i just one more thing i wanted to say as well oh go right ahead just because um we were talking about sexual violence i just wanted to say that um so i actually report because we were talking about the fact that um oh the prison and things like that aren't a real solution But um, I just wanted to add more nuance because actually, I think three years ago now, I reported the crime of um, the paedophile who abused me to the police. Um, And I think like a year, over a year ago, ago now, he was sentenced to 13 years in prison. So he's now in prison. And I guess what I'm saying is when I'm talking about prisons and things like that as a solution, I'm not saying that no one should ever use prisons or the police as a solution I'm I'm against prisons I'm a prison abolitionist I don't think that there's a solution but at the same time if you're faced with a situation like mine or any kind of violence or where you don't where that seems like the right way to go I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with using that method if you need like if I had had the option I would much rather this man were rehabilitated or there was some other system in place to deal with this but um, given the circumstances that's what I that's the only option I made available to me and I don't think it's going to lead to him being rehabilitated um, but at least he's not um, he won't be around on the street I guess for 13 years so hopefully some people might be protected from him so um, yeah just to just to say I know that you know we often like um, the police are terrible and prisons are terrible but yeah just to add that
0: (laughs) yeah right All right. Anything else?
1: Uh, no, I think that's about
0: it. All right. Okay. All right. So that's the show, everybody. Um, and, uh, we will talk to you guys. Uh, we'll talk to y'all later. Anyway, it's just a thought. Y'all
1: have a good day. Thank you. Bye. (laughs) Thank you for having me on.